This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by Newcom, and as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now, we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now, the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So one powerful application is using the program PowerNap, a 20-minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also downregulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now, there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download Newcom, N-U-C-A-L-M, from your app store and sign up for the seven-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned, but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on newcom.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show professional MMA fighter turned firefighter, Dave Mazzani. Now, in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics from collegiate decathlon, his journey into mixed martial arts, training under the shootbox umbrella, professional wrestling, his journey into the fire service, merging vets and players, firefighter fitness, 
mental health, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment. Go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of over 850 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So that being said, I introduce to you Dave Mazzani. Enjoy. Well, Dave, I want to start firstly by saying thank you to Derek Woodski for connecting us and to welcome you onto the Behind the Shield podcast today. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So where are we finding you on planet Earth this morning, your time? (laughs) This morning, I'm at the Red Rock Casino. My girlfriend and I decided to have a little staycation. So (laughs) yeah, it's the day we scheduled and happened to be here. So like, that's nice about technology. We can do everything everywhere. You and I talked when we set this up, um, and one of the things I told you was from the outside looking in, how strange it was that the Vegas shooting that we had a few years ago seemed to garner a little attention when it happened, and it just dropped off immediately. Now, right. is that where you're at now, that area in Vegas? Uh, I'm about... I'm, I'm, I'm a little west of that. I'm like, So that, that would be the Las Vegas Strip is kind of a nice little locals area kind of near the the red rock uh national park i don't know, i think it's a national park but yeah a lot of the best climbing and stuff is around here like the good hikes and everything so just an area of town and it's uh what's weird about vegas is there's there's casinos on the strip but then there's like casinos spread out around the city and they're almost like community centers kind of like so you you go to the theater here, there's bowling, there's nice restaurants and, and stuff like that. So locals, if we do want to staycation, we kind of stay off the strip. <laughs> so, Beautiful. Well, I know yeah. that's not where you were born. So let's start at the very beginning of your journey then. Tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings. Yeah, um, Anchorage, Alaska, uh, both my Folks came from the lower 48, which we call everybody below <laughs> lower 48. They were, um, they, they both came up for the, the trans-Alaskan pipeline, right? So my dad was from Michigan. My mom was from uh, New Mexico. Uh, my dad did, op- he operated heavy equipment. Mom was fueling trucks, but there's a lot of money to be made. And a lot of people just kind of escaped to Alaska back then so we didn't really have a lot of like family members like grandma grandpa cousins and stuff like that around but we did adopt um other families to be our family that's kind of how things worked around there um very blue collar um so my dad had a construction company and my mom just did what she could to make money too um and my dad ended up owning a, a construction company um 
And then I went off. To, I, I don't know long, long, make a long story short. You know, uh, grew up playing sports, a lot of ice hockey, ended up doing track and field. Went to college. That's where I met Derek Woodsky, which which we, we mutually know. Um, he was one of our throws coaches, um, and I was a de- decathlete. Um, he did most of the strength conditioning programming. Uh, my other coach, the decathlon coach, kind of ran most of our practices, and. Um, from there, I started mixed martial arts. After graduation, I moved back to Alaska, started fighting um, just for fun. I just wanted some bucket list item to knock off. And then after uh had a few fights, I guess you dig into other things, but uh I, I I just I wanted to take it further, so I moved to Vegas and uh finished my career i had a, I guess the highlights of my career was my title run in efc in south africa there's a it runs all over national tv over there um called efc and i was the lightweight champion and uh i retired at 34 and then a few years later like I'm, I'm 40 now i'm a probationary firefighter uh for clark county fire department um, I also, in between that, did a little, a little pro wrestling as well. And a lot of people have been throwing it out there. I don't know. The, interesting enough that the Iron Claw, is, it's a it's a new documentary coming out. And that happens to be my finisher, the Iron Claw. So it, it highlights the Von Erics, and, uh, which was one of the inspirations for the Iron Claw. So I've done a lot of, lot of random things. Um, it, it, I, I've noticed in the firehouse, people really like, the uh pro wrestling part because i think it's unique and different but the the mma fighting was actually i was probably bet i was definitely better at and uh was really shooting for the, the pro wrestling was the side thing but it's it is an interesting random thing that i did here in town <laughs> so i'm gonna go all the way back to your childhood that was a great overview and i appreciate it <laughs> if you know what's coming now <laughs> Um, I listened to you on Michael Yo's podcast, and it was kind of interesting because you talked about the diversity in Alaska where you grew up, and and I would right. agree with him. I think a lot of people have a very blinkered, superficial, um, not even understanding, like uh, concept of what it would be like. So, talk to me about those early years, as far as the community and the background that you mentioned about. The work bringing your parents up there, the the diverse spectrum of people that you grew up amongst. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, on Michael Yo's podcast, I, I knew Michael. I don't know. I, I knew him through. Uh, uh, well, I got introduced by to him by Nick Carter, who I was training. Nick Carter, the Backstreet Boy. I was training him, and Michael was is a comedian um, here in town, and he needed somebody to train him, so I was training him. And uh, he was actually joining my nine round kickbox fitness studio for a little bit too. Um, but yeah, when I was on his podcast, he, I, uh, he has to go, Hey, really, there's probably no black people in Alaska. And I was like, dude, you're actually, there's actually quite a few different, like we had a wide, it wasn't just black and white people. We had, especially in my school, I was in East side Anchorage and by Barlett high school. And we were kind of known for being a lot of mixed races. We had about, one point they said 36 languages spoken or something like that 34 and the numbers coming through but um there's been a few diversity indexes and that 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 the united states had and there's like three anchorage school district schools that scored like 
top five or something like that on there. Um, what people don't realize is, is uh, families will travel where the money is and they'll travel because of the military. We have two major military bases, Elmendorf and uh, Fort Richardson um, up there in, in Alaska so, or in Anchorage specifically um and so so i found that anchorage is kind of a melting pot like kind of like america uh, i remember at one point i, I don't know, wouldn't know the reasons why but but we said uh america or alaska is what america was in a sense it, it's it's it was still a little more wild uh, a little bit more uh still still like this melting pot i mean obviously you have different sides of town that house different you know groups of people like cities tend to do but um yeah when i was fighting i i I, when i was fighting and playing sports track and field all that stuff um i was exposed to 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 everyone you'd be even surprised that the 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 whole the hawaiian and the the polynesian population the the tongans hawaiians and samoans um still like you think oh they're gonna be they don't want to be around the the ice and the snow and and you'd see a big old samoan guy at the bus stop waiting to go to school and he's he's wearing sandals and a t-shirt and shorts and it's below freezing and i'm like this dude's a resilient guy <laughs> you know? so i don't know that always cracked me up you're supposed to be in the around palm trees not around the snow man that's not how it's supposed to be but um yeah it was it's i i, I enjoyed it i think i benefited a lot from that well, I think it's an important perspective because I feel like there is a narrative trying to be pushed at the moment that, you know, we're all so segregated. And so like even now, the whole anti-Semitic thing is kind of arising again. There was the anti-Asian thing around COVID. You know, it's like this this constant um, pressure to remind people of pigeonholes that I think, of course, exist amongst the shitbags of the world, the most prejudiced. But everyone else, we're like, I mean, you look at New York, L.A., London. I mean, so many of these places around the world, it is a beautiful melting pot of cultures. And I was surprised to hear about Alaska because I was naive to that particular state. But there you go. Like, no, my my home is the same. So I think it's important for us to to hear that America was built on immigration, you know, so and I'm one of them coming from the UK. So hearing the reality of the communities, you know, the same way as people turn on the TV and like, oh, there's race wars. And you go, okay, walk out your front door. Do you see a race war going on? No. So stop fucking looking at the, you know, this much of the world and look at this much of the world. Right. Uh, I agree. It's, 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 it, it has been a strange thing for me to, uh, I don't know. Like, cause I, I've never really, I've, I've had a hard time, even, I don't know, when there's a lot of talk about it like, and, and, and people are trying to be, I don't know politically correct or whatever and they're like yeah and black people and white people and and asian it, and they're like talking about people in that way i always talk about people as people well you know I'm like and, and i don't really focus on their eth their their genetic background i might i might like look at something they they were like culturally right like I know a lot of people who are like when I when I ran cross country and track at Adam State, um, they're from Mexico and they were Mexican, right? And so I got to learn about Mexican food and you know and different regions of Mexico too. It's not the same foods everywhere else. So we learned how to cook from people that were from Mexico. And then one of our guys was from Somalia. He like went through the Somali wars, and, you know, like the the and stuff. Like there's like 
wars and stuff that happened when he was younger and 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 we would you know talk about food too and and like this like the way he grew up and so i didn't look at him as a black guy i said it's like mo his name is muhammad but we call him mo um he was from Somalia and we were curious about what his culture was like, you know, and another guy from El Salvador that we ran with. And it just, it's so I saw that part, like, Hey, you're from a different place and I want to learn about it. And it was pretty cool. But like, I never really associated of, of somebody with a different color skin. If they grew up in America or grew up in Alaska, like they're Alaskan, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or whatever they they weren't, black or white or i don't know whatever <laughs> yeah so, i agree with you completely I mean, you ask most people in the uk at least when i was growing up you know of whatever i mean we have again like i said a real melting pot of cultures because the the british back in the day went to other people's countries and did a lot of bad stuff and so the beautiful side of that is we have this you know like i said a tapestry of cultures now but you know you ask someone you know what are you they're like, well i'm british what are you Whereas, you know, they're not like I'm Afro, Irish, Caribbean, Asian, English, you know what I mean? So right. I think the refining that is important. I'm American or even bigger than that. You know, I'm human. You know, we're all we're all the same species. Just we're just born on a different rock at the end of the day. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> all right. Good, good tangent. Anyway, so back to sports when you were in school age, you mentioned ice hockey. Is it going to walk me through the sports that you were playing through to college? Right. Um, ice ice hockey was in, in, in Alaska. Like, um, and I guess I've seen ice hockey here in Vegas blow up because of the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's really cool because ice hockey was huge. When we were kids, we never had an NHL team, but we had University of Alaska Anchorage that played, and we had um, the Anchorage Aces, which were a they're kind of a semi-pro team at first, and then they kind of joined, then they kind of become became like a feeder team to the I think it was WCHL. I hope I'm not West Coast Hockey League. I hope I'm not butchering that. It's been a long time, but um, they're part of that. There, then they became one of the feeders of the St. Louis Blues. Um, they would feed players back and forth between there. <clears throat> but um, so we grew up watching hockey. Like that was like kind of what we did on the weekends. You know, we'd go to the hockey games and they're, you know, they're relatively affordable and stuff. They weren't like the Vegas Golden Knight tickets are here. <laughs> um, so so and then, and then we also like there's high school sports. And one of the high school sports you'd play was um ice hockey right and, and there was like cheerleaders and all kinds of stuff and so when we were younger it was cool to play varsity ice hockey and so i uh rose started in first grade and played all the way through my senior year and uh that that was a blast but for some reason i felt like i was better at track and field um kind of for silly reasons like Ice hockey was kind of like it was less subject is more subjective, and I liked the the thing about track and field is it's it's not like if you put up the number you're better than that person, right? Like if I ran faster than you are through further or or whatever, um, had a higher score in the decathlon or whatever, but um, you 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 won, you 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 were successful. So, um, and and I and I look, I'm kind of a knucklehead, right? Like in, in the sense of. Uh, I saw like I was a distance runner and I was like, well, 
all I got to do is run faster. So I got to make my feet move quicker. And a way I can do that is I can just will it to happen, right? Like if I'm just not a pussy, I can just make my legs move faster and I can beat the next person. And, uh, you know, as I got into college, I kind of realized that there's like something called genetic potential, right? And what, what people's genes are. And I, I saw a guy like we were talking about my friend Mohammed, you know, and, and he was from Somalia. And this dude was built to run, man. Like his guy would float. You know, he'd come off an injury and then start beating me in workouts the next week. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? It was frustrating because I kept getting hurt because I couldn't withstand, you know, the 90 plus miles we did a week, you know, at a, at a, at a college level. And and they're all quality miles. It wasn't like we were like putting 12 minute miles. It was, you know, our recovery pace was like 730s, something like that, something ridiculous. 730 miles and at 7,500 feet altitude up in Alamosa, Colorado. But um, so I graduated, gravitated to that. I was a distance runner for focus primarily on distance and then transitioned into the decathlon just because I kept getting hurt. Um, Coach Wallen, he was, he's, he's not out of state anymore. He's up in the, I don't know, near Boston or something. Um, coach, he's a great coach. And, and he noticed I would stay over the summer. Uh, I wouldn't go home. You know, we would just stay and train. And he's like, dude, you got dedication, man. Like, do the decathlon. It's it's that it's that sport where you got to learn a lot. You got to be disciplined. Um, if you put a lot into it, you can get far just, just by learning technique and just training hard, you know. And and so he saw that I had the mind for it. So I, I transitioned to the decathlon. Did did decent, like scored a you know a couple points at regions or something like or, or, or that conference you know <laughs> like so I, I did create a little bit of value there um but as an athlete i, I decided oh, fuck, I'm, not, I'm not really done like this i don't know what to do so, so i started to like train for mixed martial arts there's a gracie baja gym in uh in alaska and they were winning most of the local fights so i was like okay well let me train there you know because i i followed mma my whole life and i was like man that's cool and the reason why i thought it was like one of the greatest things is what better test is there than fighting another man in a cage like to to say like hey i'm athletic i'm strong mentally i'm, I'm tough as shit like um i'm facing fear in the in the most i don't know when there's somebody across the cage from you and they want to kill you like literally you're kind of simulating death you're choking somebody out knocking them out dismembering the an, a limb with a submission um what what better way to conquer a fear than go after that person that's trying to kill you and try to kill them right so um i just thought it was like something that that's great because you know you grew up watching movies like blood sport you know with john claude van damme is going to the kumite and 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 stuff like that and and uh you know it, it it's it's something that like it's really cool and i want to see if i can I have, I have the guts to do it and you know because that's how i kind of ran as a distance runner i just had guts and i would just 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 grab onto my nutsack and just go and, <laughs> and like see if i had had something in me but um fighting was was that that type of thing and i what I noticed is like if you're persistent and you're tough and you learn a lot of technique and and you and you really dive into it, especially mixed martial arts at that time, it was a, an evolutionary process when I started in 06. Um, you know, there's still techniques coming out today that you're like, whoa, this is a game changer, you know. Um, but when I started, there was a lot of guys who fought who barely knew what a triangle choke was, right? So I'd 
you know, fall on my back and I would choke, choke them out, you know, to, with a triangle choke. And, and, uh, so, so without me hopping everywhere, that that's kind of how I got into mixed martial arts. And then I just kept it going because I always wanted to be a pro athlete. I used to see, you know, anchor Jason and, and I, I saw the NHL and I saw people I was like, I want to be a pro hockey player. I, I didn't have the finesse and the, uh, the size, I think for, for pro being a pro hockey player, I'm like five, nine. So, uh, yeah, there's five, nine people, but you look at the stats and you look at the reality, the numbers, it's, it's not, it's not there. So, um, fighting there's weight classes and, and fortunately I got to fight in like probably arguably the toughest weight class in, in professional MMA is with the 155, the lightweight division. Um, it was so, um, I, I fought at welterweight a couple of times and, and, uh, even at 185, I fought at middleweight, which, which was, was fun, but, uh, I didn't have to, I got, I got to, I ate breakfast the day of weigh-ins, you know, um, <laughs> but, but arguably those guys are a little slower and, and I actually generated a couple of wins at middleweight, you know? So, um, yeah. And then, and then here I am now I'm, uh, not, now I'm just doing, just staying in shape, doing yoga and, and, uh, <laughs> lifting weights and keep my cardio up and I'm training for, you know, the fire ground and stuff like that. Well, you said you played hockey, then you transitioned into track and field. My son's actually yeah. a, a runner. He's, he's kind of almost distance. He was crossed for a bit, then he's shifted to the one mile. Now he's even being, I think he's going to do the four by eight as well. So he's kind of shifted a little bit shorter distance. Cool. But, you know, you, I had the same thing growing up. I played field hockey, which is the, the one with the stick. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got into martial arts. And it was an interesting contrast between the team where arguably if it's not a super cohesive team there's a lot of kind of blaming when they lose like each other and then you have the individual where it's just you on the mat so what were the takeaways from the team ice hockey arena that you brought but also the individual one man you know i i love i love sports like i feel like if i haven't, I haven't reproduced yet Right, I'm not a kid yet. <laughs> uh, if I did, I, I think sports would have to be such a solid um, part of their lives because it teaches you such amazing things. I also coached. I mean, I guess I took that out, didn't put that in there too. But I coached varsity sports when I was 25. I was a head track and field cross country and ice hockey coach as I was going through my fight career and working construction and substitute teaching, doing all these things at the same time. But I just, I just, I believe in. In sports, because it teaches you how to work with other people, right? Like, and you guys, everybody in this group has a goal, and they got to achieve the goal together. They kind of have a leader who's a coach, and 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 the leadership from the coach trickles down, and you see the effects of like a good leader, a bad leader, um, different styles of leadership, and how and the, how it affects the team, and then you kind of work with the team dynamic. And there's always people that you really like and don't like, and in between like okay with and you can find how to create this um group that will be cohesive and and whose strengths and weaknesses work together and to accomplish the goal i think that is amazing right um there's also the the physical fitness part of it you know uh, you learn how good like healthy coping skill mechanisms and skills you learn how to win and lose right um 
I think I feel like it was so important to learn that. I remember one time I was trying out for a hockey team and um, I looked at the list on the wall and my name wasn't on it. And I had to deal with just that devastation of like not making the team, you know, like your mom can tell you you're, you're, you're the best person in the world all day. But in reality, you're going to get kicked in the junk with the uh, reality of, Hey, I'm not as good as I thought I was, which I think is great because that's what we're going to deal with up there. Um, So I, I think those things took away and even mixed martial arts, which was crazy is I guess respect is a huge thing that we generated. It wasn't because they put a belt on us and told us to bow and say os and like do katas and like martial arts, traditional martial arts. We gained respect because we would train with each other, right? Like I had to use your body and you had to use my body as a tool and a training vessel to like learn, practice these moves on. I had to punch my best friends in the face and and you know choke them out and do all these things and if i didn't respect them and their body and and what they do like they're not gonna train with me anymore right you're 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 dead there has been a few people that i'm like i'm not training with you you hurt me all the time you know like it's not gonna happen uh but also there's like this weird you know if i'm a fighter and you're a fighter we have this mutual respect with each other right and and it's something that happens because We've been been through similar trials and tribulations, so there's kind of a brotherhood. Um, and like I said, um, there's there was no like it, it's weird. There, there's no um, hierarchy, you know. Like this guy could be in the UFC, but an amateur guy comes in, we still respect the amateur kid, right? As long as he has good a good ab- attitude, you know. As long as he's not in there cocky and arrogant and whatever, but. If they are, we got to tune them up, right? You got you put them on the mat and beat them up a bit, and then it humbles them down. And we've all had that, you know, gut check in our life. But typically, I, I've I've seen an amateur kid come in, and I'll respect him just like anybody else because he might even teach me something that I don't know, you know. And and I'm gonna teach him stuff that he doesn't know. And eventually, this amateur kid might be able to beat me up. Right. Like you just you just don't know. You never because people was just, just to take off. Um, so I feel like this this mutual mutual respect and humility um, that came with it. Like I love this 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 um, Henzo Gracie. He um, was one of the I don't know, Gracie fans, one of my favorite Gracie fighters. Um, I forgot how the quote went, but he talked about how, like, if there was like a like a five year old walking up to you and he was going to beat you up. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to beat you up. And you don't have to beat up the five-year-old to prove that you can beat up the five-year-old, right? You can, you go like, ah, that, that's cool, man. You know, and, and you brush it off. So I look at a lot of things as an adult, right? We treat each other with respect because, you know, if, if, I, if I'm confident as a man and what I'm capable of, I don't need to beat people up or be a dickhead to somebody just to prove that I'm above them. Right. Or and, and I don't even have to prove that I'm above them. I'm just an, I'm just a human being. Right. Because you don't know what each person harnesses, you know, like um, there, there, there could be the dude that like nerdy with glasses playing his Nintendo Switch that could be a murderer. And you don't even know. Right. Just because that's that's what I've seen through. The nature of so I, so I respect everybody and know that somebody could harness something incredible and I don't even know it and might not even be might not even like it's kind of like I don't know, 
going back to my current situation, like, I don't know, like the, the medics are a little different than like the, the knuckle dragon firefighters, right? Like they just kind of have a little different vibe to them. They could be a little nerdier, but dude, like that person can teach me so much about what they have. So it's, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we're going to work our strengths and weaknesses together. So I think it's really cool to, you know, just, just, just sort of see what somebody has to offer in life and, uh, and respect that. And I guess that's what I've gotten through the whole sports realm, but mostly, I don't know the fighting. I, I, I love the dynamic of fighters and, and what we ended up going through and doing and, and everything, but also the team that we had a co- cohesive team. We had to work and ice hockey is something I miss as well. Oh. Well, you, the humility, I think is so important. It's funny when you were talking about the martial arts and I just literally did jujitsu this morning, um, only a blue belt. Yeah. So not, <laughs> not anywhere near the level that you're at, but I've always said that this, a good gym and I drive, 35 miles to go to the one i do there's a few in town but it's just the right fit the right level of intensity without the um the ego without people trying to win every role air quotes Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and you know so at 49 um i can go there you know kind of escalate to my partner's level where we agree you know have a hard role have have an easy role but walk out and still be able to do it the next day not be sore and separated ribs and all the rest but that humility element that you find in the map, because you can yap yap all you want. The moment you get on the map, we're going to see who you actually are. And it's interesting because it parallels the fire service. There is a lot of ego in the fire service from certain individuals. And they're the ones that will be yapping about no one cares what you did before. And they're kind of beating their chest. But when there's a mat in the fire service, be it training, be it a real fire, you get to see who they really are. So it's an important right. kind of carryover in the fire service too. The, the best firefighters I've ever known are so humble and they will literally look to learn from the new guy. He might be a carpenter or she might have been a plumber or who knows, and you're going to pull something from him. But the moment you're like, you know, go mop the floor, Rook, is every fucking time you open your mouth, then, <laughs> you know, maybe you need to go take a jiu-jitsu class and learn some humility so you can actually learn rather than be an arrogant prick. <laughs> right. I, I, but one of my buddies, I, uh, what is it? I, 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 I used to referee Naga, North American Grappling Association. We'd travel all over. And so I, I'm friends with a bunch of guys who are referees but we're like really great friends but we live in different parts of the country we just happened to meet up in austin and meet up in la at wherever we got flown and we'd like stay in hotel rooms and i don't know like it, it was it was it was kind of a blast we'd fight we'd, we'd do matches in hawaii um but I had, a, I had a good buddy who joined san francisco fire about five years ago and he he actually started a, a jiu-jitsu club over there and, and he sent me pictures of like they, they have a mat room in there and and he's he, i think i think rich is rich now black belt so uh yeah so it's cool he's like sort of streamlining it and he had a few fights and everything but one of my favorite guys like i i never lived in the same town as him but i went to his wedding because we we're that good of friends you know and and uh <laughs> but yeah i think i think jujitsu is at, at, at men like that's one of the best martial arts you know like People always ask, want to ask me, hey, what should I train to learn how to defend myself? And I'm like, first, track and field, get the hell out of there. That's that's number one. Get Stay in shape. I tell people, stay in shape. Be fit so you can at least push and run. Um, especially when it comes to like women's self-defense, they do all these fancy like maneuvers. And I'm like, dude, just, just push them and run, poke their eyeball, whatever. <laughs> just get out. 
And, uh, but jujitsu, if you really want to learn a technique, you got to do it under pressure. And in order to do it under pressure, you got to have a live 100% roll. Um, and you can't do that with striking techniques. Like, especially when you're older, you're not going to like lay each other, punch each other in the head. You're just not going to do it. And, and even when you do, you're not going to do it hundred percent. Like I learned so much every single fight because we're trying to kill each other, you know? And even in sparring, depending on man, I, at Vanderlei Silva's gym, we were like killing each other, <laughs> but, but even then the pressure of an actual fight is different. So you learn, you elevate your practice so high. But the, the nice thing about jujitsu is you every once in a while you can go 100% relatively safely and learn and executing a technique with that kind of pressure is different than something you drill a thousand times. So, um, and you get to see the effects of it. Like, oh, if I train this way, see how it comes out in the competition. Okay, cool. You go back and adjust back here while you're um, at practice and go back and forth. So, yeah, jujitsu. I tell people they need to do jujitsu if they truly want to learn, like, a, how to physically do something to somebody, somebody else. You know, maybe a little bit of Muay Thai, learn some like kickboxing, but um, jujitsu should be your your base. Jujitsu, wrestling, all the grappling. Yeah, I think, and that's the answer to bullying too. And I think when people think when they hear <gasps> the discussion of martial arts and bullying, they're like, "Oh, so you, so you kids and defend yourself?" It's like, no when you bring the bully the potential bully into a jiu-jitsu school for example they cease to become a bully if you can keep them there right you kind of school the bully out of them because a lot of bullies ultimately were hurt when they were younger and now they feel mm -hmm. this need to project when that is tempered when they they are humbled and they realize that other kids can be kind and other kids can also whoop their ass you know as you said you get the enforcer in that school whether it's a child or an adult they'll soon humble someone who's got the attitude but We've got that mentorship, you've got, you know, that discipline, you've got that respect. And so I think, you know, martial arts, you can't force it on every school. But I mean, if you could encourage jujitsu in every single school, I guarantee you would see a lot of this bullying that we see online start to diminish. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm looking at if I'm thinking of the dynamic of my school, like if you look at the wrestlers, the wrestlers are never bullies. <laughs> you know, they, they were kind of weird. You know, we, we look at them like the ears and all the stuff. And they're and I wrestled one year in in middle school, and I I do remember being like, whoa, I could like actually handle business when I was like learn how to wrestle. This is like this is incredible. Nobody told me about this. And then I went off and played hockey instead. But <laughs> like, but yeah, you, but you're absolutely right. Like, it 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 keeps you from being a bully. And I guess I never really thought about that as much as. Um, what happened with me is I, I was kind of like a dorky distance runner kid, you know, um, well, well I, I wasn't dorky. I was just kind of different, you know, I'd like have my hemp necklaces and my running shorts and I'd be walking around and you know, short shorts. I'm like, yeah, it feels better when I run, dude. Uh, <laughs> and so just like my son. one time <laughs> at practice, I had this kid who was like, you know, six foot something over 200 pounds. And I'm like a, buck 55 soaking wet and uh he just, he just he was always messing me at practice you know and like i was one grade ahead of me and treat me like i'm a like a freshman I'm like, okay okay whatever then my sophomore year he still treat me like i was a freshman and then maybe it was my junior year and he was a senior one year i was like i was on the ice and i just like 
I just snapped and I grabbed his face mask and I I ripped it off and just just drilled him in the face and broke his nose. You know, I just I, I just I was wasn't having it right. But then I felt like this power, like I don't have to let people fuck with me. You know what I mean? I I don't have to. I can and and yeah. And he went to this kind of funny. He went to school and he had like the raccoon eyes. And all the girls were like, oh, what happened? He's like, Mazzani beat my ass. <laughs> he felt really bad. And then later on, I mean, it, but then after that, we were cool. We were friends, right? Like, we didn't, we got along. And every, even still, he'll come into town in Vegas and, and we'll we'll hang out. We'll get dinner. And he even told me later on that he was like, dude, I'm really happy you became a professional fighter. So I don't feel bad that you broke my nose. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it is. It was cool. I mean, I think that's something that that we tend to sort of neglect. Is is uh, there 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 is a place for masculinity and place for like, you know, bumping heads together because that's kind of what we're supposed to do in nature. And and I, you know, like if 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 you're gonna like, I, like I do yoga and stuff. I do some of the feminine things, right? I, I used to teach Pilates and stuff, <laughs> but. Um, but like I, I think think if you you have masculinity, it's not bad to embrace the masculine, let boys be boys and get dirty and and uh, do all the fight each other and and whatever because that you 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 hold all that back and it just gets even more aggressive than if you just let us duke it out a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, when they talk about toxic masculinity, I think where it that term actually applies is the way that you and I were raised when you think about how men were presented to us. It's the Arnold Schwarzenegger or the John Wayne actors on screen. You know what I mean? So you're big and tough and strong, but you're not even, you know, you're, you're a bodybuilder. You're not even maybe tough. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then there's that boys don't cry. And the reality is men and women or whatever, you know, gender these days people identify with, you're a yin and a yang together, you know? Mm-hmm. So at times, you know, a firefighter, as you know, when we're about to make entry to a burning building or try and cut a car away from a person who's bleeding to death, that's not the time for unicorns and kittens. But after to process that the roof collapsed, we almost fucking died or we couldn't get that person out. They bled to death. That's when you have to have that kindness and compassion. It's the same kindness and compassion that leads us to be a protector in uniform, you know? So I think where men get in trouble is that they believe that we're just supposed to be out getting, you know, getting dirty and all that stuff and roughhousing. But then where society is in danger of going is now the other way where we've got kids, you know, barely doing any PE anymore, eating shit foods in, in canteen, living their world virtually and not getting any of that stress exposure. So now, God forbid, we have, you know, some nation decide they're going to come invade our country. There are some extremely able men and women, but we have a very growing population of people that don't experience discomfort. So I agree with you completely. That balance between the two is important. And suffering, whether it's cold, mud, wrestling, striking, whatever it is, is an integral part of a human being, male and female. Right. This is uh I always felt I I because I was I was a I mean I was a fighter, hyper masculine, it is masculine things, work construction and all this stuff. And this is one of the reasons why I definitely feel like I need to introduce people to things like um like yoga, right? Like people look at it as like, oh, it's stretching. I'm like, dude, it's not it's way more than stretching. It's not 
it's it's your breath. It's your you're focusing on your on yourself and doing all these things. It's it's a it's a healthy mental practice. Um, through our fire academy, again, like brand new. I'm brand new, twenty three one. Um, so it's, uh, we had Clark County. We had the biggest rookie class ever. We graduated eighty two people, which was huge. Like wow. we don't ever graduate anyway. And, and the whole and the whole cadre and everything did amazing just putting that together somehow right it's not never been seen never been done um out here but um so a lot of the guys so we were at the silver dome silver silver bowl which is the um the stairs the the, the old unlv football stadium now they play in legion and stuff you know or i think they play there i don't know they, they play not there <laughs> so it's old beat up rickety uh stadium with that didn't really have air conditioning or heat so we're dealing with the conditions while we're in classroom and outside the classroom but, but we did a, a lot of stairs right like you'd imagine you're up do the stairs and then obviously the heat is something that people had trouble with and so i i would invite every weekend during the academy i'd invite everybody you know, only a few came and people who did come benefited, but like I, there's a Bikram yoga class that is over at the studio near that I'm friends, friends with the owner called hot box. And it's a traditional 26 and two, 26 postures, two breathing exercises, um, 105 degrees, 45% humidity. I think those are the specs, but it, it is, you go in there and you think you're going to die. Right. And a part of it, what I liked about Bikram <laughs> it was an introduction to yoga for these guys because it's not very fluffy. It's very rigid. Um, it's, it's structured that there's, it's going to be the same every time you're doing each pose twice. And, and so they kind of know what, to, cause I think what turns people off is somebody you'll get an instructor that's too fluffy and talk, talk, talking about, um, I don't know, like their, their, their chakras and stuff. I'm like, I can't find my chakra. Where's that? And we, we took anatomy. We couldn't find our, um, you know, heart chakra. There's just the, I, I can tell you all the chambers, you know? <laughs> um, so, but it introduced these guys to something new. And what, what I really found is you could go through mental adversity simulated, simulated through heat and stress. And it kind of, for me, like it goes, brings me into those times where I was sparring really hard or, in a, you know, and I was going to die and we're beating each other up or whatever. And, but I can do that on the mat and actually get good movement in my body and heal internally and externally. But that was a way to introduce a bunch of people to, to yoga. And, and I, there, there's a few of the recruits that came out and really benefited from it. Um, and again, it's, it's not going to be the same for everybody, but being open to different training practices is huge because um, I notice this, you know, as people get up older, like I'm, I'm 40. Right. And I came out of an, a mixed martial arts career, relatively injury free compared to most guys. I mean, I fought some tough dudes. It wasn't like I had easy fights either. It's not like I came from gyms that were, were, uh, you know, like not, I was like extreme couture, Vandalay Silva's gym. I've trained at Robert Drysdale's jiu-jitsu gym, you know, like he's like some tough dudes. And, uh, I, it's because I was very mindful of my, my, uh, keep my body together. And, and I think something like yoga, people get overlooked and they think it's just stretching, but it's, it's more and you'll get mentally and physically 
better with it. But again, you got to find something for, like you said, that yin and yang, that balance, something to balance you out. Um, I noticed when I step on the yoga mat and I was doing a lot of like MMA stuff, jujitsu stuff, I would like feel so relieved that I was doing something that was the opposite of everything I was doing. And then on the other spectrum, I used to teach a boxing class at a studio called Two True Fusion, right? It's it's a yoga Pilates studio. And I actually helped them design that boxing program. And they're franchising all over, which was kind of cool. Like my little baby is growing, grew. And but like you'd see the girl come in that like Mr. Yoga class, and she was all upset. She's like, I don't know. I, I guess I'll try this. I need to do something. You know, I'm like, okay, cool. And like, this is how you wrap your hands. And I get her going. And and she'd like hit the bag. Pow. Ooh. Pow, pow. Ooh. You know, you see her eyes light up. And all of a sudden, the person that's going ape shit on the bag more than anybody is this little yogi that came in and said she was very nonviolent. She breathed everything out. Well, she needed some of that masculine energy. All she had, all she was trying to do was harness this feminine energy and, and channel it and whatever. And like, oh, I'm so peaceful. Dude, you got to hit a bag too. You got to do something, you know, scrunch your face up, make an ugly face, spit and sweat a little bit and let it out. But if you're all you're doing is that, you need a little bit of like breathing, relaxation, meditation, look inward, maybe go for a hike or, or something. However you let it out, there's a way to do it. So that's kind of what I've learned with yoga and and, and, and get, keeping the body and the mind together through through my 40, 40 trips around the sun <laughs> so far. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. And it's, it's so pertinent as well. And obviously, you being from Alaska, me being from England, that was one of the hardest things for me. I was always in shape. I, I was, you know, hand on my heart. I don't think I ever really got exhausted on a fire and a training ground, but overheat absolutely and that was the biggest mental battle it felt like my damn organs were cooking sometimes but using tools like that understanding cooling when you get to strip down your bunker gear and doing it you know efficiently but also putting yourself in those situations where you're hot and again you know like you were saying sometimes it was just doing stairs in your gear but then you think about bikram or even you know martial arts or crossfit in one of the old places where there's no ac and you're in a you know florida industrial unit you know, I mean, these are all great places to simulate it. And obviously you're not absorbing carcinogens from your gear, which is a, a plus. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to think about it too. We <laughs> forget about that. <laughs> so I want to get to the martial arts journey. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a shoot box connection, but before we do, when you were in high school, college, you know, you, you went down the, the athlete route, you went down the coach route. Were there any other career aspirations you had earlier on before you found yourself in the, the physical side? Uh, you know, I felt like I always had a calling to be a pro athlete. You know, I, I just wanted to, you know, so bad. Um, but I, I did want to stay around sports. I, lo I love the dynamic sports. I was finding a way I could, like, maybe I can coach collegiately. Maybe I can, you know, uh, like maybe I'd teach and then coach high school. Uh, I, I just want to be around sports, regardless of what it was. Like, that's just what I want to do. Um, and, and even when I was fighting, I, I uh, you know, I was at Vandalay's gym. I, do uh, I, I did a lot of the, I worked with a lot of the amateur guys and uh, cornered a lot of their fights and spent a lot of weekends doing that, like late nights, just, just you know, not not for pay, but like just because I wanted to do it. And, help my, help my brothers out, you know, um, wrapping hands in the back and sitting in the corners and, and making sure they're taken care of and making sure they leave there. Okay. Um, so 
yeah, that's that's pretty much what I want to do is is be around sports, whether it's but I don't know, being the athlete is 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 the dream. That was the dream. When I moved to America, I spent a year on the east coast as a firefighter in Hialeah, then I got hired in Anaheim, California. My my wife at the time wanted to move out there to LA, do the whole acting thing. So found myself living in Burbank and was looking for a martial arts school. I'd been um, uh, a Taekwondo athlete up to that point. So tippy tappy, won some trophies and stuff, yeah. but, um, you know, knew that there was a, a pretty big deficiency in my contact game. So there was a, a gym shoot box opened up in LA and La Brea and Melrose, I think it was. Um, I think his name was Roberto, the guy, the member that, that came to open that up and coach. But up to that point, semi-contact taekwondo and then the full contact you can't punch to the face you can only punch to the chest and you can knock out <laughs> yeah. the feet hadn't really experienced like you know fighting fighting in the gym and then i walked into shootbox and i mean i always tell people it was the closest thing to fight club i've ever had now did i learn a lot of technical <laughs> stuff i would say no but yeah. did i learn i could at least take an ass whooping <laughs> yes yeah. i did so so talk to me about the contrast of your previous training up to that point and then your shoot box experience. No, oh, man, you're just putting twinkles in my eye right now, like thinking <laughs> about that journey. Uh, so in Alaska, I was at Gracie Baja Jiu-Jitsu, right? And we, we kind of we kind of learned, well, it was, it, we got associated with Gracie Baja a little later, but back in the day, if I knew Jiu-Jitsu, I could like beat 90% of the people because they didn't know what I knew, right? It was like this little mind hack. And then as everything evolved, I mean, I, I was five and zero at one point and then I lost, I lost a local fight in, in, uh, uh, against Josh Henry in, in Alaska fighting championships. I, I, I lost a decision and then a promotion wanted to fly me out to, to Edmonton. I fought a guy named Claude Patrick. He beat me ground and pound second round and he went, went off and went to the UFC a little later, which was okay, cool. Um, and then they flew me back again. So oh, you want to fight? Ryan Ford, that guy, still a beast. Um, this is all middleweight. He gave me a. You could even look this one up online. Ryan Ford, like cracking my shit. <laughs> he hit me with a one-two, and then a left, uh, yeah, <laughs> a left kick <laughs> to the side of my head, um, and and you know fractured my 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 face and my nose my nose had a compound fracture bones sticking out of it and my teeth are still kind of numb from that fight because the, the severed nerve facial nerve um and uh yeah that was like in about 13 14 thousand dollars in medical bills that I had to pay because you know fight they, they weren't insured that way they're in canada right um they didn't need so uh made a thousand dollars lost about 13 or whatever and uh <laughs> so I had to go home and, and, and really, really reevaluate what I did was going to do. And, you know, obviously even as things were healing, I was super gun shy. And I, after that third loss, that devastating injury, that's when I chose to move to Vegas during the recession and all that stuff. I was like, I was like, I'm going to be a fighter. This is what I want to do. I was, so, I was so hard headed. I think I still am sometimes. Then I went to Vandalay Silva's gym and what they had, like again, shooto box trained by the same guys he did, is they would spar so hard, right? They but that's exactly what I needed. I needed to like get on the horse, right? This horse kicked me off three times, 
like real bad this last time. And I need to get on the horse and sink or swim. And when I was at Vandalay's, like you said, they beat the hell out of me. Right. And there be every time I went to sparring practice, my heart rate would be going up as if I was going to the arena. Right. And, uh, uh, it, it was funny because our amateur team, I remember amateur team, they're all white belt jujitsu guys. They were all, you know, they, they, they knew techniques, but like, if I was to ask them, Hey, list out all these techniques of stuff. They'd be, I don't know, but the, our guys could bang. They could scrap the little techniques that we did know. And I'm going to say we didn't know we're, we're, we knew our stuff, but they were young but they fought so much in the gym that like when it was game time, they could pull off all their techniques executing clearly because they've worked under pressure in the, uh, in the training ground. Now, did you have to sacrifice a few brain cells and sacrifice a few injuries in the process? Yes. 100%. That's the nature of the beast. Right. But I remember reading my first, the first book I read on mixed martial arts, was uh ken shamrock's enter the lines and, and i still remember this part in the book the best way to get good at fighting is fighting so you have to fight if you want to be the best spaghetti eater in the world you eat a shit ton of spaghetti right if you want to be a good fighter you have to fight a lot and unfortunately like and there's you hear this this um push like hey you know um you you we do, there's not a lot of sparring for especially the UFC guys a lot of guys there's a lot of guys that talk about yeah I barely spar anymore but you also got to take into consideration these guys fought a lot before that you got to fight a lot learn how to fight and then you can start pulling back on the sparring unfortunately to be good good you might have to lose some brain cells and that's just like I said the nature of the beast um, that's why I don't tell people they should be fighters right they like. Hey, you should you should go and fight. No, like, but going back to Vandalay's gym, yeah, it was it was it was incredibly savage, and I fucking loved it. I loved it because like Vandalay would had the attitude, you know. And and again, we that was probably the closest fight team I've been been to because we beat the hell out of each other. That's what we did, and we were really close, and we had a good brotherhood and it probably was because of that, you know? So yeah, it was a unique experience. I don't know if it's ah, the best thing about that is when somebody would come in talking smack to, we were kind of close to the strip, you know, and somebody would come in and be like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm the best fighter ever. And but okay, cool. Uh, Tuesday or Thursday, that's when we spar and we'd come in and we just light them up. And it just like, man, how many times in life, is there somebody like talking a big game and you just want to tune them up in one way or the other, just show them, just prove them that they're wrong. And we could do that. You know, like this is why none of our guys, all our guys are humble and didn't talk because we've got our, all our, we've got our butt kicked and we felt a duty to us. So we felt this duty to educate the public. Right. So somebody comes <laughs> in talking a big game. Uh, we do our public service by beating the shit out of them. It was fun. <laughs> yeah if it, like i said i learned i learned two things i learned that i wasn't as much of a pussy as i thought i was but i also learned yeah. that i was not destined to be a professional fire like you know i got my toughness training but it's not mm -hmm. the road that I, you know it's just it's not it's just just a brutal reality but i remember some of the times that there was a, a time was a god this how big was this guy probably 220 ish shaved head tattoos head to toe and uh you know they didn't you just fought everyone there was no 
oh, you know, you smaller guys go with them. So, yeah, I mean, he broke my nose. I got my eardrum perforated by a guy who was a Muay Thai fighter that was in there. One of the black belts got me in a crucifix and was punching me in the face going, get me out, get out, get out. And I'm like, I can't. You haven't taught me how to get out. So I'm just going to wear down your fist with my face instead. But um, but it was it, it was amazing. But it really did make me realize the damage as well, like you said. And now, you know, in the TBI conversation, you do have to be mindful. And it's a very, very interesting point. You're absolutely right. There has to be that base layer of, you know, proper contact training and then be able to gate off a little bit. But you can't, you know, walk into a cage having just hit the mat, the mitts and some light sparring. But, you know, where is that fine line? Because I even now, like I get some brain fog and stuff. And I'm like, how much of that was, you know, just that time that the the boxing I did, the, the taekwondo when we did get hit, I mean, it all kind of adds up. We don't get a lot of impact in the fire service specifically, but if you've taken, you know, taken your role as a neighborhood sheepdog, for lack of a better word, and, and a parent, you know, and a, and a husband, you know, you're taking a lot of damage to hopefully get to the point where, God forbid, someone tries to hurt your family, at least in that realm, you can defend yourself. And you can't do that with as you said earlier, grab my wrist. No, no, grab the other wrist. No, grab that with the other <laughs> hand. That that doesn't work. You got to learn if you can, you know, if if you can take a beating or not. And I, and I and I could, but at the same time, I will hand on my heart say because I, I actually train with. Remember Anthony Johnson? He was the yep heavy light heavyweight heavyweight. I trained with him for you know he was at the school at the same time and he cut down to one seventy. It almost killed him, but I mean he was just. You know, I don't know what it was normally like 200 plus lean, lean as can be, but that's who we'd be sparring with. So amazing right. group of people, like you said, real camaraderie, but I definitely have some, you know, misshapen facial features now because of my time there. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> that's a place where I saw my first tibia, fibia fracture. You know, that one that everybody's doing <laughs> There's leg broken, uh, happened right there on the mats. And then, yeah, I've seen some crazy injuries, which is, <laughs> which is fun. But like you said, sacrifice, you gotta, you know, you gotta give something to get something back. <laughs> so how did you find yourself from fighting in Canada to fighting in South Africa? Right. So yeah, South Africa, that was interesting. So Vandalay was doing some promotional things with this, the, with, with uh efc back in the day efc africa um and they needed a last minute replacement fighter and this is this was so silly i was so i was in a vandalay's camp i was fighting and i was looking for a fight you couldn't it's hard to find a pro fight people think oh you can just grab, get a fight no you're like looking for fights especially fighting out of vegas we didn't have a local pro promotion because like if you're at the best of the best you're going to sell tickets to an entertainment thing, right? You go to Anchorage and the AFC, the Alaska Fighting Championship, and you go, hey, there's going to be fights. Those fights were like on a Thursday, and we would like pack the place because what the hell are you going to do during the winter in Alaska? Um, let's watch some locals beat the hell out of each other. Cool. We'll pay for that. But you come to Vegas when you have a new entertainment thing coming in and out every day, and there's residencies and stuff. You're going to watch a low-level pro fight locally so we have amateur fights which those tickets get sold because you got the amateur fighters being like hey everybody come watch me fight because they're all excited to be watching fight and so they kind of and the gyms support each other and they come to the fights and you don't have to pay them and the commission is different you don't got to do the, the same blood work and mris and all that stuff that you do for 
the pro fights here. Um, so you'll see amateur fights and you'll see UFC fights or like EFL or something like that. Rarely do you see a, like a, you know, an O and O, a place where an O and O guy will fight. So fighting out of Vegas, long story long, you have to travel out in order to get a fight. So when you travel out to fight, they typically fly you in to lose, right? So every fight you have is not going to be one to pad your record, unless you got some kind of connection, you know, and you're working some angle or whatever. But that's what's tough about building your record here in town. Best training in the world, but building your record up until the UFC was just, it, it was tough. So they called, they say, hey, we need a last minute fight. We need a fighter in 10 days to fight in South Africa in the Coca-Cola Dome against our champion, Wenzel Nil. Um, how about that guy that you have that has lost the last three fights he had in his record? How about <laughs> Dave on? No. Oh, God, God, God. You know, and I'm just thinking, I need something. But little do they know, I was doing nothing but training. I had a little bit of money saved up after I paid off the $13,000 of medical bills for my face getting smashed. That was my first fight back. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, like, why don't I fly to another continent and, and uh, fight the champion? And that that's how I'll like, get my feet wet again. Not, not a very wise career path but it's just all i had and so I, I i get i'm cutting weight to a weight class i've never cut before i haven't cut to 55 at that point i think we did a catch weight at 160 so they considered a non-title fight and um so in the process i throw my back out really bad like i i'm like walking like a grandpa i'm like shit okay so i got 30 hours of travel to get there going across set seven i think it's seven or eight time zones um and I can barely walk, much less fight a dude. Like, whatever, you going to do what you got to do. And I go in there, and I ended up fighting co-main event. Yeah, it was co-main event. I just ate a bunch of ibuprofen beforehand. Like, okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> and then I fought him. I ended up choking him out the first round. But what's funny is I sunk in this choke, and I, like, and it was weird because it, it was one of those things that I look, look at it in tape. It was like a split second, boom, and it's done. But in my head, the way it happened, I sunk this choke in. I had this conversation with myself as I had this choke deep. And I'm thinking, man, I, my confidence was so low. I was like, I wonder how this dude is going to get out of this choke. This is weird. Like, I don't, that's so deep, but he's going to get out somehow. And then he tapped, I'm like, oh my God. And I run around the ring. I'm so, the cage, I'm so excited. And I get on the mic and I'm like, hey, Dave Mazzani, how do you feel? I was like, I haven't won a fight in years. I, I'm, I'm excited. And they end up like cutting that out. They're like the guy, the guy in the production room's like, don't, <laughs> don't air that, don't air that. He just beat our champion. He hadn't won a fight in years. Like, but I looked great. I like, I was, I was ripped. I was like ready to, I was ready to go, you know. And that kind of sparked the, uh, the, the momentum forward of the Dave the Pain Train Mazzani, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, then they didn't bring any international people back for a while. They're like, I don't know. We, this guy kind of embarrassed our champ. Little they know they brought in a special guy. <laughs> I feel like I was I wasn't just some chump. They, I looked like one by record, but I actually ended up being their champion later on. Because like when they went international again, I had a few fights in the middle. I fought that you know all over the place, and then when they were ready for international people, they brought me back, and I kind of like came in, knocked a dude out, and I go I I you know look in the camera. I'm like, hey man, I'm the real champion. I beat your champ. Nobody's beating me. I'm the real champ. Give me the title shot. You know, I do the little belt thing with my hands, like signaling the belt. And then um, I got my title shot and then the run came from there. But it was 
that whole experience was, was freaking amazing. Like being, well, one being an American in, in a, in a promotion that I was the only American. So I kind of represented who we were. Right. And, and that was a big responsibility in my mind. Um, and, uh, two, just fight, fighting another country, introducing martial arts, the mixed martial arts to them. Cause I think they, they still had this public view of, of MMA being, uh, kind of brutal and, you know, human cockfighting and stuff like that. And, um, um, it's still had a view of human being human cockfight. But I showed him, hey, it's a sport. It's an it's an athletic event. Um, it's what it is. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it was it was a blast. I'm sorry, somebody's knocking on my door, interrupting the podcast. No worries, take oh. time. Hi, hi, good. Uh, twelve, twelve. Do the late checkout. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, there we go. Yeah. Um, and it was what was cool about it is I was one of the few guys who sort of was a foreigner that was able to win over the crowd a little bit, right? And that was very rare over there. And I just kind of killed him with kindness. That's what I did. Um, I would I was respectful of everybody. I I I was an ambassador of the sport. I felt um, one thing I would do too is like when I'd meet people, I'd make these little pens that said "Dave the Pain Train Mazzani" and it had like a little face logo on it. And I would give them to people. Like when I'd meet them, I'm like, oh, you're that guy. I'm like, here, here you go. And like, what was funny is like how many fighters actually give things to people. And then, and they, they kind of typically like want to, fighters typically want to take, you know, like, hey, you need to sponsor me. Hey, can I get a free meal? Can I get a, a free, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big time fighter. I, I should get a really nice room, you know? <laughs> and so I just kind of like look past the entitlement and, and, and I, and I was one of those people. And this is one thing I like about Sean Strickland right now. He's trained out of, um, Extreme Pretoria is the current middleweight champ. Is he's like really thankful of the fans because it's like, yo, man, like without fans, you, you'd be nothing. Without the people put putting their hard-earned cash on the table to come see you fight, um, you're you're not. I, I couldn't fight somebody for entertainment, you know. So um, I think being really appreciative of the fans is super important. That's something I learned from pro wrestling. And pro wrestling, you you have to you know interact with the fans, be appreciative. You don't have to, but the guys who are successful, the guys who are really good, um, take that time, spend their time to, to talk, talk to, you know, a kid or talk to somebody who really enjoyed what you did. You put a smile on their face and, uh, that, that, that's, that's, that's what it's all about in my mind, being a professional entertainer fighter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you can't obviously take a beating just to make it entertaining. You still have to be in there and fight, but I think that's kind of what I, I miss. Um, a little bit about the UFC until somewhat recently is it didn't kind of get pulled into the theatrics. And then more recently it's been, you know, now you've got these Russian organizations where they're all fighting at the way and every single one of them is fighting at the way in now, you know, and right. it's now you've got these YouTubers coming in, whether they can fight or not, it's irrelevant that they're kind of making it this fucking circus. And, you know, what I love about MMA is the martial artist. Yeah, there's five, there's fighters as well. But I had Greg Jackson on, and he said that's two different types of people. It's the martial right. artist that I love. There's the St. Pierre's and you know the people right. that have the respect, and they'll leave it all in the cage. They may not love each other, but it's that you know that hug at the end, you know that show. Like we said, that humility, whether it's in a mm -hmm. you know a kids jujitsu match or you know in MMA, you know, and when there's disrespect at the end or when there's you know getting personal into people's family members or whatever i think you've kind of lost your way so i always admire the right. fighters that 
you know, they can have a little banter before the 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 fight, but yeah, understanding that there's an element of respect within you know that platform that they've got, and yeah, and understanding that yeah, you're absolutely right. There's people all over the world that are spending their hard-earned money to watch that particular fight. So giving them a nod, I think, is is admirable. Right. I I look at it this way because um, you want to you want you want to put asses in seats, right? You want to put butts in seats. That, that that's the goal at the end of the day. Um, but what UFC did when they got huge, it was the, the ultimate fighter, the reality show, right? Like that. But what that did is it allowed you to understand the personality. So people would always try to try to give me this advice. You know, if you, if people giving you expert advice when they aren't experts in the field about, you know, like there's like how every guy thinks they know how to fight, which is funny, right? Like there's a good onion.com article. Like it's called, uh, men are 1000% less effective in fights than they actually think they are. You gotta look it up. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, it's um, the hold me back. I just see red bro type of mentality. Bro, yes. you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. Like, I, just, I just don't know what I would do. Um, but, uh, so the, the, what I, what I know is authenticity sells, right? This is what people want to see. They want to see something authentic. So if you're, if you're naturally a, a guy who talks crap and like, likes to disrespect people and whatever, that it, and you do it, it'll work, right? But if you take a guy who doesn't do that and try to do it, it's it's clear as day. You know, I learned this a lot. Like pro wrestling is pure entertainment, right? That's one hundred percent entertainment, theatrical. But the guys who do the best in pro wrestling live the gimmick a little bit, right? Like the, one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest of all time, Ric Flair, right? They always talk about Ric Flair being one of the greatest, but that dude lives the gimmick. That guy would would have gators on and his rolex watch and he was you know with women and all you know partying all the time and that's the character he portrayed and that's who he was right stone cold steve austin he was this beer drinking redneck the dude actually likes to drink beer and he's kind of a redneck and he's played out the gimmick a little bit right so you you look at these people like MMA fighters it's the same thing like i wasn't you know i felt like i'm a tough guy but i'm not a tough guy if that makes sense like i'm not that dude that just wants to go around and beat people up like i love being an athlete i love training hard i love uh doing the right thing for others and that's what i portrayed in africa and, and they did i did get a little bit of push like hey Masani, like we give you a little bit more of a bonus if you just like push him at the weigh-in or something like i'm like dude that's not what i do i push him during the fight like you're talking crap at weigh-in. I have an opportunity in the in the the hexagon over there. It was a hexagon to to knock this this fool out, like choke him out. That's that's when I'm gonna do my talking, right? But until then, I'm gonna be me. And I think people saw that and they appreciated it, you know, because you can tell when something doesn't look right. You're trying to be somebody you're not. Be who you are. Be the best of who you are, you know. And then take take your strengths and 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 harness them and and work on your weaknesses and whatever but authenticity sells and authenticity will get you through this life even better you know i think some of my favorite highlight um you know instagram reels are the ones where the guy's talking shit and then the other guy's just standing there all kind of stone-faced <laughs> and then the stone-faced guy kicks his ass <laughs> you know so yep. it's all well and good if you're going to talk a good game but you got to be sure as shit that you're going to win otherwise you're going to look like an idiot yeah 100 percent. it's just uh, you know it it's something that like 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 you said the person that talks the person that's yelling the person that's 
loud, they're usually the weakest person, right? There's a reason. There's the reason why Chihuahuas is the one that you're like, kind of just like, you know, barking the loudest. Um, I don't, I, I, it's hard to respect the loud person. I just, he'd be loud and fun, but the, the, the person that's loud telling you how much of a tough guy they are, no respect for that. You know, don't, don't, don't talk about it, be about it. Like that's just, but that's my background. That's what I grew up noticing. You know, the, the hockey player that was good was, was humble and quiet and did really well. And the guy who was the best fighter, he, he, he did all his talking with his fists, you know, he, and when he steps in the, when you see somebody like Randy Couture step into the, to the, the room, you just feel that, that championship aura about him. Vandalay Silva, you knew why he was a champion, right? You just felt it, you know, it, what he didn't, those guys didn't have a talk tell you about why they're a champion who they are they 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 live it and that's who they are so i don't know um it, uh, that just that's just how i operate maybe some people think some some opposite they got to be loud and try to be good at the same time but typically the pattern is is uh humility <laughs> yeah the best people have some humility yeah so it goes again to the fire service to politics to you know you name it sports stars i mean i think yeah it's impressive when someone you know scores a whatever a touchdown basket you know goal but really what strikes people's hearts is someone uses that platform you know they do something kind on the pitch the runner that stops when they're about to win and picks up the person that fell you know those are the ones that really you know, I get competition, but you know, not at the expense of everyone else. So I think humility and compassion is is huge and is what we need at the moment. You know, you've got all these right. people, especially in you know in politics that are masquerading like they are the UFC world champ. And it's nothing but words from both sides. Let me be very clear. Same fucking person, basically. And it's all yap yap, it's all nastiness, it's all divisive. Mm. And yet what we actually need is going back to Alaska, is that community of people that are all, you know, there for the same reason that you know all love playing hockey or all are working the pipelines or whatever it is and they're they're brought together by that so i think you know humility is something that you know we need more than ever at the moment right yeah i i agree well we got the we have these false realities that we can live you can you can be somebody you're not so easy right now and this is what was tough about vegas in general is like a lot of people moved here from somewhere else and they can pretend they're somebody else for a while. So like, I didn't really like, it was weird. I, I would look at somebody, if, unless they're here about five, six years, I really like, wouldn't really tr trust them the way I would if somebody's here for a while. Cause like some people, oh yeah, I'm, the, I'm this, you know, especially back in the day, I guess. And this goes with any career that I would run into somebody like they're, they're a promoter, they're this, they're that. But like you'd run back in the day, you'd run into so many fighters that would say, oh yeah, I have a bunch of fights, but they're unsanctioned or whatever. Like when somebody says they're a fighter, I immediately look them up online. Like I can Google if any, if you're a real fighter, I can Google you and you'll pop up, you know? Um, but, um, uh, for I was, but we talk about humility. That. Yeah. Humility. It's just, you know, um, I, I was, I was going on a tangent, dude. And I just completely mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. That's all right. I'll come back to you. I'm sure. I, I was just interviewing Cody Gibson yesterday. It was in the most recent mm -hmm. Ultimate Fire show, and he was a, a veteran mm -hmm. back in uh, yeah. 2014, 2015. He had the first, you know, contract, and then came back again. But again, 
such a nice bloke so humble he's a teacher as well yeah. PE teacher at the moment and this is it like you know i've always said some of the nicest people i know are also some of the most dangerous people i know so it goes hand in right. hand usually yeah this is uh, this is this is i guess i gotta plug this group a little bit like talk a little bit about uh merge, merging vets and players i think we might have talked about that earlier yeah please um, let's talk about it yeah, that was that was one because again talking about people who are you know complete savages, right? Like, or they 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 probably they lived a different life that was was different, but they're still some of the nicest people. Um, merging vets and players, it's a support group for um, combat veterans and um, ex pro athletes, ex combat veterans, pro athletes when they take off the uniform, right? So, war veterans and and pro athletes kind of have the same issue when they when they get done and I, and I and i guess i'm starting to notice this in the fire service they're like hey why is so-and-so not retired yet because they kind of miss that camaraderie and all that you know um you uh so so basically the support group is like you know people will retire from military either medically or whatever pretty early sometimes and then fighters you can only or pro athletes you can only go so long and then you're done right and then so this the support group is well there, there's a chapter here in Vegas. I think there's one in Washington and one in LA and, and they're all over the place. Um, but we, we kind of meet, we do a workout together. And after the workout, we sit around, we, we have the huddle where we talk about. Uh, so we meet every Friday here at Extreme Couture. Um, and it's one of those things that helped me transition out of uh, the, the professional fighting space to civilian life um, because I could talk to somebody about, um, you know, what I'm going through. I was just talking to somebody who plays pickleball with Joe Benavidez, the, uh, the, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Is that, I don't know what happened. Happens? That was hilarious. The <laughs> Joe, old thumbs Joe up B sign just showed up on our screen. Yeah. I think if you put your thumb up, it'll actually make a thumbs up sign, but he was, <laughs> he was playing, <laughs> he was playing with Joe Benavidez <laughs> and, um, and Joe was like talking to this ex NFL guy who was, I don't know who it was, but they were like retired athletes that they were saying that like, man, it feels good because we can talk about things and other people don't understand, you know? And that's kind of what the MVP does. It brings those groups together and talk about our, you know, like going to civilian life because they don't understand the, the, the mindset, the, the camaraderie. They don't understand the kind of like the, sense of humor we have the the uh everything you know like the different regimens like things are different so that was a that was a really good program so if you know anybody who is a combat veteran or an ex-pro athlete check out merging vets and players.org i believe um is is a i'm one of the coaches for them and, and one of the members and it's it's been a great thing and uh again like like we said Sometimes we don't talk about stuff, uh, it just sits in there and it doesn't get out and then you end up hitting you later. And we, we need to make sure we recognize, understand why we're functioning a certain way, you know, and, and that mental part is, is very difficult. <laughs> I watched the documentary called The Weight of Gold and it had Michael Phelps and a whole load of, I think it's Lola Jones, Lolo Jones. Um, and during it, you know, it was such a strong parallel between sports and then military first responder and it was you know you right. spend years and years doing this thing um it becomes your identity if you're not careful 
And then one day you're just not, whether you yep. aged out the Olympics, whether you, you know, again, your, your tib fib got shattered in a fight and now you, you can't fight again, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, everything's taken from you. Your purpose, why you train every day, the people, the tribe that you were training around, you know, the the identity. Yeah. I'm I'm a fighter. Like I was a firefighter. Now I'm a podcaster. And I always say there's no <laughs> there's no podcaster calendar going around for, right. for you know horny housewives. Um, so <laughs> it's not a it's not a cool label anymore. So you know the identity piece from that. Even if you just transition out like I did, um, there are a lot of parallels, and you see. You know, not only my our profession, excuse me, you know, the, the uniform professions, but also you see it in sports. And then you add in the the martial arts, the the football players, the hockey players, you got the TBI as well. Now you've yeah. got this really dangerous, you know, perfect storm of psychological and physiological that if we're not taking care of each other can can go unchecked. And that's when we end up with, you know, Junior Seau and all these other um, athletes, uh, Aaron Hernandez, some of these that probably had that, you know, contributing to it and they just get lost, you know, they get forgotten about. Um, so I think it's, it's extremely important to bring those two groups together because they have got so many, uh, commonalities. Right. And, you know, and there's, yeah, it's, it, I'm learning a lot about, you know, it's, it's been cool because I got to learn a lot about just, just the veteran and what they kind of go through. You know, just just through that, I have a lot of friends that have seen a lot of combat and and gone through some things. And 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 you realize the public doesn't really understand, you know, because I've I even a lot of my friends they're they're uh, veterans, they're all savage, just right, like fighters and veterans, and even the pro wrestlers is weird, right? I'm not around a lot of normal people, and and recently, like one of my buddies who's seen a lot of combat, you know, people would meet up with them, meet them, and find out like oh you're a sniper he's like yeah he's like oh how many people have you killed right what's your head count like dude this isn't fucking call of duty man like like this is like you're, you're literally asking about the most traumatic experience of his life where he had to take a human life like he had to look this guy through a scope for god knows how long right and 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 decide to pull the trigger and and in his life and 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 you have kids and yourself and you realize this guy has kids and you don't even know this person he just happens to be across a different invisible line and you you have to kill him right and uh you, you just realize that there's parts of the public that just don't understand certain things you know because we're maybe maybe we're desensitized uh of that like this is something strange i guess i guess that never i thought thought about it recently is like how many people actually even see a dead body you know when mm -hmm. that was something that we probably saw all the time in the past, right? Like, uh, what, one, two, three hundred years ago, you would see dead bodies. You would you would deal with it, you know, or whatever. And now, somebody dies, everybody leaves the room, and somebody else takes care of it, you know. So even them asking how many people have you killed, you probably haven't even seen a dead, you know. Like it just, I don't know. It's it's just strange. It's it's strange to me, um, but again like something like merging vets and players they can you can talk to other people that have had similar experiences and see how they dealt with that you know like sometimes learning to seem the right way to respond to statements or um what what you can do to cope afterwards is is good and and like i was saying about you know yoga practices and stuff like that is everybody has their own way of, of dealing with stuff and 
you got to figure out what works for you. And you might tell me something, might talk to somebody else. You guys, maybe we all have some of the same experiences, but all three of us deal with it a little differently. I can take a little bit from you and you can take a little bit from me and we can figure out how to deal with something better. So I think programs like that are, are important. I know there's like, you know, I think it's, it's, it's becoming more. And also you're talking about head injuries too. Um, and stuff we deal with the combat veterans, they like a lot of them have severe head injuries. They've been blown up a few times, and uh, and I've been taking, you know, advice from because I've I've I'm actually in a brain study myself um, by the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I've been in about ten years now. Um, I actually just schedule another appointment. They still keep track of my brain to see what what is happening long term um, with the head trauma I sustain. And fortunately, I've I've come out pretty good. You know, but uh, I know a lot of people who have like legit, like behavioral issues because of their head trauma. And this isn't like, and, and stuff I've, I've observed, like with my own eyes over time, things changing, right? And um, I guess it's, it, it's nice for us to know, and maybe even the public starts to understand a little bit that, hey, like, getting hit in the head can actually change your behavioral patterns. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's scary and strange. And some, and some people devastating, devastating stuff are happening to them. And I've seen it. It sucks. Um, as I'm thinking of a guy right now, he's pro wrestle with, and, uh, a guy named Phil Baroni. He remember the New York badass. Yeah. 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 One of the original UFC guys. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, when I, when I would work with him, he would be up and down and he'd forget your conversations. He would like have emotional outbursts and stuff like that. And I guess I didn't really know him too much beforehand, but over time I've seen him sort of change more and more. And it might be like this, Hey, I'm retired and on my identity and more too. But um, yeah, that guy, like, and I'd look at an old interview and he'd be articulate speaking well, even though he's kind of like still at his attitude and all that stuff. It was really strange to see like, dude, this is this, I mean, who knows what else contribute to it. But um, I know right now he's in last I read, he was in, he was arrested in Mexico for um, some really gnarly stuff. Um, but yeah, you see, you see that. And then, you know, uh, I, I think, I think Stefan Bonner, that, that, that contributed to some of his stuff too. I worked pro wrestling matches with Stefan and he was always a nice guy, you know, all the time, but I could definitely feel some, you know, some, just the way, just talking to him sensed the effects of all the head trauma he took. Um, cause you, cause I guess one thing that's always interesting is look at a interview that they had at the beginning of their career, the middle and at the end, you can, you can see speech patterns change and, and just the way they talk and everything. And it's, so to me, it, it, but again, it, it's, it's like one of those things you got to understand the risk before you do something. And then you just do it anyways. If that's something you really want to do, like, like we, we, like the big subject is firefighting, right? Like we used to, you're a first responder and you know, there, there's cancer, there's cardiac issues, there's all this stuff. And I'm well aware of those issues before going in. And I think most people, Maybe, maybe some people aren't, but I think more and more you understand what you're sacrificing, what part of your body, what, what health concerns, what, what, what's the trade-off, you know, I get to live this lifestyle, do something I love and I just might die earlier because of it. 
you're just going to have to like figure that out and be okay with it. You know, just like fighting, like I, man, I, I did some amazing things and experienced something that most people won't. Um, but what has it, has it taken years off my life? Probably mm-hmm. if I was just working out and eating healthy and whatever, and not cutting a bunch of weight, and not getting hit in the head, I probably would have been able to live longer, but is that the light? I don't know. I, I, I just feel like life is meant to be lived with reckless abandon. Sometimes you got to like squeeze, squeeze that fruit as much as you can and get everything out of it before you get six feet under. But you know, that might not be for everybody. Maybe people just want to, you know, live safe and that's fine, you know, and, and do, do what they can to stay on, stay, stay, stay circling around the sun as much as you can, you know, but yeah, it just is that trade off. When you think about, um, head trauma another one that, that springs to mind is evan tanner i mean i remember he always had right. wars you know and he went off for a, a walk that he never came back from one time but i think with the right. fire service my big thing is there are areas that we can't control and we just lost a firefighter in baltimore um this week yeah last week technically um and it was i don't know exactly what it was but I, was that preventable i'm not sure operationally but when it comes to the heart disease the cancer all these things you know yeah. there we have a long way to go in the fire service before we create a work environment that's actually healthy for firefighters so i think there is a lot of prevention when it comes to that and the same you know with mma like you said a lot of gyms are understanding you know Yes, there's an application for hard sparring, but there's a reduction now. It's not this kind of fight club mentality all day, every day. You know, so there's right. some understanding there. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I think there is that fine line between living your life, um, but also mitigating as many of the areas that we understand now that we just didn't, you know, 20, 40, 60 years ago, but evolving. And if we don't evolve and we keep losing people for the same reason, which is the fire service at the moment, then shame on us because the information's out there now. We're just not acting on it. Right. Yeah. I, uh, it, 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 you've got to be open-minded to stuff. And this is the, like, here's an example of mixed martial arts. This is what I have most of my experience in. I I can speak on it. It's like, uh, like headgear, headgear's one. That's sort of been a debate, right? We just always wear headgear. And then start to recognize that, like, you're actually getting more head trauma with headgear because of the fulcrum you have a lever right and the lever goes out so the fulcrum of my head goes straight down the middle the headgear almost increases that fulcrum right so you get more like we talk about that with fourth fourth entry the mechanical advantage of your tool right the long the, the further you reach on the outside of the tool the more mechanical advantage you have so if i get hit and i hit the edge of the headgear it's able to whip my head a little bit more efficient than if you just glance off my skin or whatever, or is close to the center of that, that lever. Um, so arguably they're, they're saying headgear creates more head trauma. And I kind of like felt like it, it, it was, it was, uh, I had less head trauma without headgear, which is funny. Um, also, I mean, but I would wear headgear towards the end cause I didn't want to get cut. Right. So I, I felt like headgear, prevents the cuts more than the head trauma right mm-hmm. and so 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 the tool it's still relevant but we use it for different reasons now right and and but i think it's like that but you'll still see an old school guy that has his heels dug into the sand going hey you know you got to wear your headgear for head trauma you know and i haven't i haven't went yeah i 
I was in an EMT class and, and one of the instructors was saying that about headgear and head trauma. And I was kind of, I, 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 I was like, I always want to raise my hand. Actually, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that. I was like, I just let him go with it. But I was like, huh, this guy's like that old school dude that kind of believed one thing and, and, and may, maybe he's, he hasn't heard the evidence yet, or maybe he might've heard it. That's BS, you know, I don't know. But, um, I guess we just got to like keep our mind. It's easier said than done to be open-minded about something. We all can be stubborn about something, especially when you're like considered an expert on something. Like right now I feel like I'm an expert in fighting and then somebody might tell me something about fighting and I want to like dig my heels in the sand, not be open-minded about it. You know, so you still got to step back and go, okay, let's let's, let's hear this out. See what happens. See if it works, you know, look at the numbers um, and take it, take it from there. But yeah, you're, you're right. adaptation super important at all facets. Absolutely. Well, I want to be mindful of your time because I know you're going to get kicked out of your hotel room soon. So let's talk about uh, yeah, the fire right service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. how did you find yourself entering the fire service at 40 years old? Um, Man, like, like, like I was saying, that transition out into civilian life is difficult. I mean, I was never making a good living. So like, even Roby rookie pay. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm rich. This is great. <laughs> like, I, but I need to make a living. I, I I live without insurance for a long time. I've glued cuts together more than I can count. You know, like I, I learned that you could solve any, any problem with three things. It's duct tape, super glue and coffee. That's basically the, the, the basic tools of life. And then that's what I did. But uh, I, you know, I needed something with a retirement, with medical, with all that stuff. And then also, I needed, I need stability, but what the fire service, I noticed, cause I had a few buddies who were fighters, my buddy, rich and, 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 uh, in, in California. And then I had a friend, uh, who retired up in Anchorage. Uh, um, she lives out here now. Um, we go, we went paddleboarding all through the pandemic and she would tell me stories and talk about her job and how cool it was. And also a really good friend of mine, um, who I trained with at Vandalay's, the way we met is funny. We're talking about it. Uh, we grab each other on the shoulder, like Takiyama, Takiyama and Don Fry and punch each other in the face until uh, <laughs> neither one of us stopped. And after that, we were best friends, you know? And so I've been friends with him for 13 years and he's been on uh, Clark County for uh, five, six years, you know? Um, so he's like, dude, you got it. He's never, he was telling me I need to do this thing. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, because uh, in my mind, I was like, well, I, I got to own my own business or I'm, I'm going to find a way to get rich or whatever. Because I always have this like mindset, like go hard or go home. But then I'm kind of realizing, man, like I really enjoy helping people. I love to coach. I love to mentor. I love to uh, help people extend their lives through health, health and fitness. And and uh, I always kind of had this superhero mentality in my head where I want to be a superhero, you know, like uh, I, I, uh, well, it's like, I don't know why. I, was, I remember when I learned how to like stop a bleed when I was really young, you put pressure on it and stuff like that. And I was like, I always like visualize what if somebody's bleeding on the playground and I saved them, you know? I thought that'd be really, really cool. And actually, off duty, I got my first uh, tourniquet on somebody. So I punched a hole through a window at a park at a, at a, you know, a river and they're bleeding out. Somebody actually had a tourniquet, they had it on wrong it was super loose. They didn't have any pressure on it. And I readjusted to put the tourniquet on and, and they airlifted the guy out eventually, but he's bleeding out of a brachial artery, 
but I was like, that was really, but that, that save off duty was really cool to me. Like that, like that got my blood going. So at the end of the day, I wanted a job where I can give back, have team camaraderie, um, have instability and stability at the same time, right? Like you go into work every day, not knowing what you're going to do, what's going to happen. You know, you could be sitting there eating a donut or something (laughs) and, and somebody could be, you know, there could be like a giant fire or, uh, or, or somebody really sick or overdosing or, or whatever, or having a baby in a park. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that to me was like, it was like amazing. I, cause I can't, I can't, I've tried to work. I worked for true fusion corporate. I worked for a corporate, got a corporate salary and, and uh, help open franchise franchise studios all over in the fitness industry. And it was, I was like, yeah, it's, it's it, it was cool, but man, I, I needed some more. So, uh, it, it just, it just made a hundred percent sense. And, and it was hard to get, to get there. And, and I'm still just there. I'm still a probie. And, and, but like everybody I talked to who came from the background, I did, it fits and it works and it makes sense. And, um, I know there's a hiring issue right now. Maybe that's why they let a geriatric like me in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, I feel like it's a hidden secret that, that, man, this is a great job. But I'm also realizing there's a lot of people that wouldn't be willing to do that job, which maybe my brain is wired differently. But I'm like, this is, this is you know, this, the, the tasks required, the things we got to see and do um, for this job. Um, to me, it seems awesome, but other people really scares them. So I suppose everybody's wired different. They have different roles in life. And so I, I don't know so far it makes sense as a fit. And, uh, and I'm, I'm one of those people too, that like, I, I hope, hope because of my background, all the shitty jobs I had in the past, I'm never going to take this thing for granted. You know, you see some, you know, people have a great job and I'm not even saying this one in general, but like they forget how great, how good they have it. You know, um, being being uh, thankful for what you have. I guess that's what fighting in South Africa did for me too, right? Like I got to see an actual poor sides of town, and and the effects of of the still effects of apartheid and stuff like that. Like, um, wow, we have a great America. We have a, a freaking awesome country. You know, and they, you immigrated to here. You know, like you you, you understand. Um, a lot of people don't. A lot of people like want to complain and say how bad it is then smell the roses because this is we're in one of the greatest places and positions we can ever be in we just gotta wake up and like stand back and take a good look and realize we have a great over here so yeah that long story long that's that's how i got into it and what made me excited about it and look forward to um the opportunities that that are afforded to me in the, in the future was it cape town you fought in Cape Town quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fought twice in Joburg and uh I don't know, Cape, Cape Town is like a little home away from home now. I, <laughs> it, it was it was because that's what they would say in, in the as they're promoting the fights, like, oh Masani's home away from home and stuff like that, which was strange. And I do like with with some of these days off, one day I want to fly back and and go go see it again without and actually get to eat food the whole time and have a beer. <laughs> I was waiting, getting riled up. <laughs> I was just there in February. I did this round the world trip with a bunch of special ops guys. It was uh, kind of a 
uh, almost like a research project to simulate like a wildfire season or a deployment or yeah. you know whatever it is so they broke them down there's a group of them that ran a marathon in every continent so seven continents seven days um and we started in cape town and uh i know exactly what you're talking about beautiful beautiful place and some gorgeous yeah. areas but then right next to them are these shanty towns that remind you of you know some of the the ugliest side of of south african history at times yeah I mean, and you saw people. Yeah, I, 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 I love, I love that place. But then also, I just, it made, I guess, it made me realize how good I have it, you know. And and that that was the thing when I fought over there. I would never like wave the American flag. I'd be like, oh yeah, we're the greatest, you know. Like I didn't want to like rub it and people, you know what I mean? It it, it, just, it felt wrong to. I I, I want to come as a human, you know, <laughs> like and be appreciative. And I mean, one one of my favorite things to do there, they'd give me like twenty tickets. And a lot of guys would sell them. I'd, I'd give them to a few people who sponsored and supported me. But and I, if I had a conversation with somebody who like absolutely would love to see the fights but couldn't because they couldn't afford it, I would love to give those tickets to people just because that would make them ultra happy. Maybe something they'll remember the rest of their lives, right? Like that. That's to me. That's that's my goal is to like put smiles on people's faces. That's one of my favorite things. That's why I like pro wrestling. That's why I actually fought. Um, I, that's, that's why I like to have fun around people because I love to see people smile, you know? So yeah. Another day I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future. It's going to be great <laughs> get to do that more. Well, I want to hit one, one more area and then let you go so we can get you yeah. in your checkout time. Um, one of the observations doing martial arts, most of my life, um, being a CrossFit coach athlete as well, being a firefighter is, I think that training like a fighter seems to parallel when it comes to the strength and conditioning side seems to parallel the fire service really well because we don't know what we're going to be doing we could be climbing a tree we could be going down a sewer pipe we could be crawling into a burning building whatever it is what is your perspective because you've got such a strong coaching background as well of the strength and conditioning side for this Mm -hmm. profession you found yourself in now Right. Like, yeah, like you said, my degree was in human performance and physical education. I had a minor in coaching. Um, I, I, I trained everything from distance running to the decathlon to mixed martial arts. Um, so I've had to shift a lot of gears and, and, and I, and I was with a guy like Woodski who was very super intelligent. And so I got to get early on a really good look, a look of, of somebody who's a, a professional in a sport coach Woodski for you guys who don't know is a, he was a throws. He was a, Canadian record holder in the hammer throw. And, um, and he, he grew up in a small town and had to learn. He was just obsessed and would like, would like learn on his own, a lot of these things and um, strength conditioning things. And he like worked for the Cleveland Browns before we, he came to Adam state and, and worked at Adam state and worked with the Poliquin group around. Like, so this dude was like new, new as shit. Um, so I got to see what an intelligent strength conditioning program looked like. Um, with the fire service relative MMA. Well, one thing I notice is there's tons of techniques, right? In MMA, there are an endless, countless amount of techniques, right? And there are, I've, I've forgotten more techniques than I know right now, like in MMA. Um, and it was funny because I remember, I remember, okay, for example, one fight when I fought Steve Kennedy, um, I went down and I, I put him in a triangle choke and, I don't know. I can't, I don't know if I can explain it, but there's a weird thing where he can reach his arm around and hide it and keep one artery open. But if I switched my feet in the triangle and it's like, it's weird, 
intricate, weird scenario that you don't see often. Um, I just switch my feet and it and it goes. And I remember like sitting there at the, at the fight. I was like, oh yeah, there's this move I learned a long time ago. And I, I switched my feet and I won this fight at 185 to get a title in, in Australia. This is in Australia. And, and, uh, and I won, but because of this one little technique that I learned a long time ago that I still retained. And so, and, and I did, would practice it every once in a while, but this is what I noticed in, 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 in the fire service. There's tons of force entry techniques. There's tons of ways to, uh, uh, you know, lay out a hose and, and, and there's techniques to extricate a person. Um, there's techniques to like medical techniques that, that we, we, we learn. Um, and there's always a better way to do it. Always a smooth way to do something. Even like putting an IV. We were talking about different techniques of putting IVs last time. I was like, oh, we didn't learn it that way. But man, that's a good thing. You know, so you're always sharing these with your friends too. Like, I know it's just like sharing. So that's where mixed martial arts came together is like no two mixed martial arts have the same tool bag. We all have different bags of tools and we trade them back and forth. You know, your teammates, you trade them and, and, and you got to keep them sharp because all these skills are perishable. So all the techniques is one that's huge. Um, with the physical side, um, it's all functional, full body movements, right? It's, it's um, you know, when you're going to go hard on a fire ground, it's going to be about the same time you would in a mixed martial arts fight, right? The, the, the metabolic demands, you know, five or three, five minute rounds is about what you would do if you're, going interior and putting something out, knocking something down and getting out, right? Rarely are you going to be working, you know, your bottle only lasts. If you're breathing hard, it's not going to last an hour, right? <laughs> if you're sitting still, you can make it last an hour. But if you're going hard, you know, I think I, I, I got to put a timer to it more, but like, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, you're not going to get much more out of it than that. So the metabolic demands are the same. Um, so it's kind of cool to see, you know, then design skills courses and see what people are doing for strength conditioning. But I also see like um, there's longevity practices that I would want to implement myself. I was talking about yoga and, and, and the stress, like a flat met mobility regimen, um, stuff like that. Cause you see a lot, a lot of like uh, meathead, like, you know, get, get jacked and, and be able to lift things and stuff. And, you know, maybe even do some of the metabolic, we'll do stairs and do the, the cardio and, and everything. But, but this is what will happen with mixed martial arts too. With MMA, the strength conditioning in the beginning was like, hey, let's get super jacked and and uh, do like basically long drawn out CrossFit workouts. You know, they do this giant circuit. They would like have ropes and flipping tires and all that stuff, and they completely smash their their nervous system, right? And they weren't adhering to periodization very much and not doing longevity. Now longevity practice like they go down on the street to the ufc performance institute and they have they're starting to really put science behind their strength conditioning they're stabilizing joints they're working on mobility of things they're they're working like shoulder stability right like that's a huge one right um like like charles poliquin said you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe right if you have an unstable joint and you're trying to generate force from your body into something um and that joint is unstable. Well, you're not going to get power out of that thing. So I noticed like through my MMA career, I started really focusing on, on keeping my, my knees strong, my shoulders strong, uh, make sure I can have good mobility in my practice. And, and I can definitely see a more, um, 
uh, an approach like that I'm going to implement to myself as I grow as a, uh, as a firefighter, right? Cause you know, you want to keep your body moving at an optimal level as long as you can. Like I, I tell people a classic car is a beautiful thing, but man, you got to put change that oil way more than you do on a brand new, you know, Honda coming out of the gate, you know, coming out of the factory. Um, uh, and and because that's that's what we all we're all turning into classic vehicles. So you just got to put more love into it. You got to put more more consciousness to it. You got to like change the brakes a little bit more. Put maybe put new ones in. <laughs> you know, um, feed it. You feed it the good fuel. You put you don't you don't put eight you don't put a eighty seven octane inside of a, a Corvette. You know you put the, the good stuff in there. But um, yeah, I see a lot of similarities. I see a lot of similarities with the progression or, or where it could go. Um, Right, don't see. So again, that's an, and, and hopefully we'll talk in a couple of years and we'll see what see where I come out, <laughs> see what happens with it. Yeah, no, I think that'd be amazing. Well, like I said, I want to be mindful of your time. So for people listening, where are the best places to find you? And then I know you've got a nine rounds franchise. So anywhere else you want to tell them yeah. um, online as well? Um, yeah, I mean at Mazani MMA is my my Instagram. I I I guess I'm. Who knows what I'm using it for these days? I used to really use it to promote all my fighting and my pro wrestling, and I'll I'll play and throw stuff on there. But yeah, find me at, at Mazani MMA M A Z A N Y M M A, and yeah, that's I have a Facebook fan page that I never go to anymore. But but yeah, it's uh, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna put up there. But every once I'll put some good nuggets in there, maybe some throwback Thursdays and and stuff I'm doing right now. I guess I keep in track track with all the still got fans in south africa and stuff and and uh my friends and family everywhere else so find me on instagram that's probably the best twitter's the same thing i guess i still work on or, or x whatever we call it but <laughs> so if you have twitter I, I post on that every once in a while but yeah that's it brilliant well dave i want to thank you so much it's been an amazing conversation again you know firefighting is what we do and a lot of us absolutely adore it but it's everything else that people have done whether it's in the uniform prior to the uniform you know alongside the uniform whatever it is but um to hear this journey that you've been on you know from alaska and this diversity to the mma fight and the pro fight and then here we are now it's uh it's been a hell of a story so i want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time taking two hours out of your staycation and coming on the behind the shield podcast today all right hey thanks for having me appreciate it